Hi, and welcome to the Badger Talks podcast, the podcast that shares interviews with experts from the University of Wisconsin-Madison community about their work, programs, and research, and what they're like as people too. I'm your host, Ben Rush. Listening to this podcast gives you a sneak peek of an upcoming longer talk by each guest. Our guest today, Tom Eggert, will give a talk called Investing in the Future, How Does Climate Change and Social Justice Impact My Retirement Portfolio? on July 19th at noon central time virtually. A link to the virtual talk as well as past and upcoming talks is in the show notes. For now, here's my conversation with Tom Eggert. Hey Tom, thanks for joining me on the Badger Talks podcast. How are you doing? Ben, thanks for having me. I'm great today. Great. Well, I was really looking forward to having you on here because you're going to be talking about such an important topic. Uh, investing for climate change and also how this relates to social justice, two causes I'm I'm very passionate about. So thanks for being on here. Can we start with some very basic information? What is your name and pronouns you use? Sure. It's Tom Eggert and I use he, him and his. Wonderful. Thanks. And if people were going to bump into you on the street, what might you look like? Um, so, uh, I recently retired, so the graying comes with the, uh, with the identity, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, uh, at one point I was close to six feet. I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm there any longer. Uh, one of the benefits of aging is that everything compresses and everything, you know, sort of comes together. Yes. I, I'm 31 and I can feel every day becoming a bit shorter. It's pretty nice for most things. Are there any identities you'd like to highlight about yourself? Um, well, just a, a couple of things. Um, I mentioned that I had retired uh, back four years ago. Um, and at the time that I retired, I, I the, actually the last lecture I gave to my students as I was walking out the door was that I was viewing retirement akin to graduation. And the difference being my students were looking out, were going out and you know, they were going to find jobs in the real world and they had a number of criteria that they needed to satisfy as they chose which job offer to accept. And I had the same issue, right? I'm, you know, I'm going from a paying job to being an unpaid volunteer. And what of the many things that, you know, that I could get involved with that I want to be involved with? Because taking pay off the table opens a whole host of opportunities. And so, what has sort of happened over the last couple of years is that I've become very active on a number of different boards, a nonprofit that I had founded in 2010 called Wisconsin Microfinance um, has become a, a much bigger part of my life. Yeah, I was looking at your resume and all the activities you've done and I felt, oh man, this guy is going to be super interesting to talk to. Could you tell us uh, a bit about how climate change and social justice are related, and perhaps even give an introductory definition of both. Climate change, I think people, we, we, we spent over a decade trying to figure out what term we were going to use. And I think we settled on climate change, except for there are still components in the business community that don't want to talk as much about climate as they want to talk about carbon. They you know, they know what what's going on. They know where they're where they need to head, but their language is on carbon and you know minimizing carbon emissions, which is a which is a little bit more tangible, I think, for them. 
But for the rest of the world, uh, you know, settling on this idea that the climate is changing, uh, that one of the manifestations of that change is changing weather patterns, that here in Wisconsin, we have actually probably some of the world's experts on what do those changes look like on the ground. And, you know, I'm in northern Wisconsin right now. It's getting wetter. Winters are getting warmer. Seasons are extending. Things that used to grow only in, you know, south of here now will will grow here. Farmers that were dependent on on a certain weather pattern for their crops have now had to consider um, alterations in in how they're when they're planting, how they're planting. You know, there are impacts on trout species that are dependent on cool um, streams. So, I mean, there's there's all these manifestations of a changing climate that we know. I mean, th- these are not speculation. These are changes that we can already see, we can already measure. And then you ask about sort of the relationship to, to social justice. Um, and social justice, I mean, in a nutshell, is how do we treat all of us the same, um, or aspire to treat to 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 treat all of us the same. The idea being, um, people that have less in the way of choices um, are more subject to the. So they're locked into a particular place, and that place changes around them and makes it more difficult for them. Right. I'm glad you brought this up because these two ideas of climate change and social justice aren't always connected. But like you're saying, people who have fewer resources, they can't necessarily go somewhere else where it's safer, where they're not going to be impacted by changing weather, rising sea change. And so what we do now, as far as our CO2 emissions and other greenhouse gases, really will impact those people. Fewer resources means fewer fewer choices. I mean, you, you simply can't um, make the same sorts of adjustments. It's as simple as um, people with fewer resources and, uh, you know, weather gets more extreme and they don't have the same ability to weatherize their houses as people with more resources do. And so they become more subject to, you know, sort of the extremes that we're, we're seeing, extremes in heat, extremes in cold, extremes in rain, extremes in snow, etc. Are there investments you would point people towards to combat climate change and champion social justice? Here's the deal. We know that Climate change is real. We know that there is agreement among most countries in the world about steps that need to be taken to adjust for, adjust to, prepare for a change in climate and the changes that it will bring about. And there's a study by McKinsey that was released about a year ago that estimated a lot of money was going to get spent on these adjustments between now and 2050. And, you know, not surprisingly, it's trillions of dollars. So the idea is if trillions of dollars are going to be spent and it's going to be spent by governments, you know, federal government, state government, local governments, it's going to be spent by business, it's going to be spent by academic institutions, it's going to be spent by, you know, everybody, everybody's going to have a role. Um, 
But this money is going to go somewhere. When it's spent, it's buying something. It might be buying solar panels. It might be buying batteries. It might be buying um, house weatherization, weatherization sorts of things. Um, so why couldn't we, as people that are aware of what's going on, invest in where this money was going to be spent? Invest in companies that produce solar panels, knowing that you know, solar is going to be a huge component of a changing world. Invest in electric vehicles because transportation um, represents a great share of the carbon emissions um, on an annual basis. And if we can wean cars off of gasoline and put them onto electricity, that will go a long way to, you know, meeting some of the goals that have been laid out. We know that batteries are going to become important, not only in electric vehicles, but the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. How do we capture that energy so that when the sun isn't shining or the wind is blowing, that we still have access to electricity? That'd be the role of batteries. And, you know, and the list goes on. Yeah, completely. Um, and as someone who is trying to make my investments count, I think not only for me, but also for the whole all of society to benefit. Um, I've actually looked into for my measly little retirement account at the moment, how to invest in social justice and climate change. And sometimes I think it's hard to find the places to do so. So I was hoping our expert here, Tom, uh, you might be able to give us specific websites or companies that we could try to invest in both climate change and social justice. So uh, Morningstar, which is a ranking organization, well-known for ranking um, individual companies' uh, financial performance and then assembling those individual companies and ranking those individual companies that make up mutual funds, which are groupings of individual companies, companies and then assigning that mutual fund a rank. And it's one stars up to five stars and the top 12 and a half percent of companies in a particular um, niche are five star companies. So Morningstar now ranks the sustainability of companies and instead of stars, they use planets. So there's a one planet and a two planet up to a five planet mutual fund. Um, and so you can use an objective as opposed to a subjective standard by looking at the rankings that Morningstar assigns to companies or to mutual funds. That's a little different than the sector focus that I was talking about, saying that, you know, knowing that solar panels are going to be a part of the future, investing in companies that produce solar panels is likely to produce a good return over, over a period of time. Another way of talking about sustainable investing is ESG investing. The E stands for environment, S stands for social, G stands for governance. The social component is ranked and you can, you can look at how companies are ranked. And that includes how they treat their employees, um, how they do from a diversity perspective, um, how they, uh, you know, sort of the, the difference in pay between employees and, and senior management and, and a number of other issues, sort of the social issues, how they interact with their communities. Um, and you might say, geez, I'm really interested in companies that score high on the S of the ESG um, framework. 
and Morningstar allows you to, you know, sort of look and see which are the, the companies that have done the most from, a, you know, making sure that their board is diverse or the communities are, are treated well. What obviously came to mind for me, the sectors of wind and solar energy. But, you know, just in this episode, you gave some other examples of what we could invest in for companies, electric cars, batteries. And it's nice to have those different resources out there to tailor our type of investment. And also just because like, I would consider myself a little bit wise in this category and I completely forgot batteries. So it's nice to have a list of all the options out there. Just hearing these options also gives me a bit of hope just to know like, you know, change will come and we can not yeah. only improve just the general well-being of people in the face of climate change, but uh, maybe be financially stable while we do that individually. One uh, last thing I wanted to make sure I gave you a little bit of time on, and I'm not entirely sure how much you will touch base on this for your Badger Talk, so I wanted to make sure I got it here. Your Wisconsin microfinance nonprofit, it seems like it's really doing some great work. So was, I don't know if you have a two or three minute pitch about what it is, but I figured it's, it's an interesting model, which people might not be entirely aware of. Um, so Wisconsin microfinance goes back to 2010 when I was teaching a class and I had a student um, from Haiti in the class and he had just come back from Haiti in January and left just before the earthquake in Haiti. And the earthquake in Haiti in January of 2010 was a big deal all around the world. It's a big deal in the U.S. Haiti is actually it's very close. Also, it's just you know, a couple of hundred miles off of our southern border. So people were very sensitive to what had happened in Haiti and a lot of people died, a lot of destruction. Um, so my students raised $3,000 and we wanted to help people get back on their feet. You know, there was a lot of aid being provided, food, water, shelter, medicine, loads of organizations in the US and, and, and in other countries were addressing the immediate needs. What we were trying to do is like, you know, all these people lost their businesses, their buildings collapsed. Um, how do we help them, you know, start those businesses again? And we just wanted to give that money to somebody that was working in that space. And there was nobody that we could find that was working in that space. And so we worked with a nonprofit um, that was an economic development nonprofit that did no microfinance, explained the model that we were looking at, which was the Grameen Bank model, and sent them that $3,000. And they made lo initial loans of a little more than $50 to, you know, whatever, about 60 people. Um, and all of those, they were six month loans at 1% interest per month. And all of those loans were paid back. They, we, we used that money to make further loans and the model just, it, it grew. We had over a thousand people on the waiting list at one point. Um, we were approached in 2014 by a group of people from the Philippines saying the same sort of natural disaster that took place in Haiti has now taken place in the Philippines. Could you open a program in the Philippines? And so we did in 2015, um, same model, um, same approach. It's a revolving loan fund. We raise the money in this country through donations. We provide it to a partner in country, whatever country we're operating in now. 
Um, and then they make the decisions of who's getting the loans and they oversee the payback and they create that revolving loan fund. So that, that original 3000 that we raised in 2010 has circulated, you know, probably over a hundred times by now. I know we sent a, a group on an island in the Philippines in 2015, we sent them $10,000. We just got an annual report from them, what, seven years later, and that 10,000 has led to over $100,000 of loans that have been distributed to folks um, in the Philippines. Well, Tom, that was that was a very quick 30 minutes. Um, but yeah, thank you for spending some time with me to share some great investing tips and also sharing a bit about Wisconsin microfinance. Thank you so much for this opportunity to chat. Thanks for listening to the Badger Talks podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And if you want to catch more of Tom, check out his talk on July 19th at noon central time. The link to his upcoming talk in talks by other University of Wisconsin-Madison experts is in the show notes. Until next time, be well. The Badger Talks podcast is a creation by UW Connects and Deep Within Data Media. Music composed by Bill Purdy and played by the University of Wisconsin Marching Band. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced, like usual, by Deep Data Media.